Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to continue the conversation that we had this morning uh, concerning totalitarianism. And the seeds of totalitarianism. And exactly how it works. There's been a lot of people who have done a lot of work trying to figure out why we move into situations where there is totalitarian despots taking control of cities or governments or a whole world. I mean, there was a situation where Munster, back in the 1500s, was a walled-in city, very prosperous city, and they had this wall going all around the city that protected it from outside incursions from other people. But amongst the people of Munster, there were some people who were gaining influence with the local population. And they eventually took over Munster from inside. And a lot of people fled the city because these guys were like crazy. Who were these guys who were crazy? A bunch of Anabaptists. <laughs> That's what it was. And they went Absolutely nuts. It's it's an amazing story. Uh, the, their numbers were a little bit higher than most, uh, you know, most of the places where you would find Anabaptists. weren't very a lot of Anabaptists. And they thought of themselves as pretty nice people. And generally speaking, you know, I mean, they're reading the Bible and they believed in the Bible and they believed in, in uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? And uh, part of the reform of the, you know, moving away from the absolute totalitarian control of the Roman Catholic Church that had just taken the people to inquisitions a few hundred years before and uh, and was being rather authoritarian about all the people uh, that were in the different states. Because uh, since about 1066, actually a little bit before that, the Roman Catholic Church started crowning kings over the people. And the kings were ruling the people. And of course, we had the story of Lady Godiva, who was mentioned in the Doomsday Book, that was put into... Uh, you know, they started filling out the Doomsday Book uh, with William the Conqueror. Because everybody who was conquered by William the Conqueror in England were, uh, you know, uh, entered into the Doomsday Book. The Munster people, they, they went crazy. The, the, the head of the group uh, took power and, uh, and you know, he was starting to sleep with other people's wives and, 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 and executing people and... And they just simply took over the city and the power that they had that, you know, they began to be, seem to think that they were in the right for what they were doing. And they started, you know, just a reign of terror in the city. Eventually, the people of Munster broke in, arrested them, put them in cages and put them on display 
but didn't feed them in the cages and they just died in the cages and hung there. And if I remember right, they actually took down the wall. The wall, the wall became against them. They built the wall to protect them, but then the wall kept them out and locked the evil within their boundaries. And there were, there been lots of disputes, you know, should we have a wall? Should we tear down a wall? Of course, that's been recently with the uh, open borders and we think, well, we put a wall there and we'll stop uh, these people from coming in and invading. Of course, now there are a lot of people bringing in drugs and stuff like that. But if you really want to stop the the drug destruction of America, we have to change something within America. Why are people taking drugs? Why are kids taking drugs? And, and taking these things that are coming across the border. Yeah, you can put up a wall, you can slow it down, you stop. But maybe we should address the problem. It's kind of like abortion. Abortion, uh, on demand is a symptom of an amoral society. It's a symptom of a society that puts, where the people put themselves first rather than life of another, rather than the next generation. And this has come about, and it's why in Europe and in the United States and Canada, they're facing population collapse. Because they're not having families big enough to sustain the population. And they're literally facing population collapse. And the reason why is the same reason why in uh, Italy they were facing population collapse. In Rome, ancient Rome, they were facing population collapse. Julius Caesar saw it, that there was a problem with the rate of birth. Already, before Julius Caesar even tried to become the emperor, some of the first laws he was passing was trying to encourage people to have larger families. Just three children would give you all kinds of tax exemptions. Four children would give you even more special privileges. And, and I've listed some of these in our articles on Suetonius and, and others. That they saw this need to encourage larger families. They didn't have that problem 150 years before. But something was introduced into society that now they were having that problem. Augustus would continue this. Trajan would continue this. Trying to encourage people to have more children. And also to take care of the orphans that were showing up everywhere. Because there were street urchins, people... You were abandoning the children, uh, the, the breakdown of the family with Augustus Caesar. He was doing things to try to prevent the breakdown of the family, yet he himself was divorced. Divorce was absolutely unheard of in, in Rome 100, 200 years before. And Tacitus noticed that when he went to Germany, to the Germanic tribes up there, the Teutons, there was no divorce. There was almost, I mean, of course there was some cheating, but it was not allowed. 
uh, common punishment if a man got caught sleeping with another man's wife. They would tie him up and throw him in a bog. Well, if he if he struggled to get the ropes untied, he would start sinking in the bog. And uh, they thought that was a fit punishment. And they would throw him into a bog all tied up until he wiggled his way down and drowned. Because it was just un- unspeakable. It was just a terrible thing. Husbands and wives were teams. And they were teams to for survival. And for the survival of their children. And, uh, and their families. Because their children was the next generation. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. It is the nature of man to exist on this planet from generation to generation. The most important thing that you do in your life is to produce the next generation. That That is the absolute uh, most valuable thing that we do as husbands and wives is produce the next generation. Because without that, we're done. We're all over. It goes away. So this is very important to understand. It's one of the elements of mankind. We talked this morning about when man was created, he was created in the image of God. What does that mean? What's the image of God? God has lots of different characteristics. And man was given all those characteristics of God. I mean, we weren't infinite creatures, but the characteristics that you would call, we often call them virtues. And you could, you know, you could have seven virtues. And of course, there's seven vices, and the seven vices are the absence of the seven virtues. So, we see this idea of man, uh, entering into this, uh, state where some of the elements that he was created with they may still exist but he doesn't have access to them. He does but he doesn't want that access. He is hiding from those elements. Because, you know, God is of course God, the God of truth but Adam didn't want to hear the truth. The truth that he he didn't have the power to eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil and come up with the right answers. That he needed to eat of the tree of life, the Holy Spirit, to come up with the right answers. We we call that revelation. When you eat of the tree of life or you you listen to the Holy Spirit or the still small voice within you, that's that's the tree of life. But the tree of knowledge, that's your head. That's the, that's your brain. That's how you think. And if you want to think for yourself, and you don't want to listen to God, you don't want to listen to the Spirit of God through the tree of life, then you will end up using the tree of knowledge as your source. And then, of course, that's what Adam did. When Adam was called out on it, he was found hiding. And then, of course... When he was asked, what have you done? Why are you hiding? What, you know, instead of, have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because 
he knows that he doesn't have authority himself within his own mind. He needs this external authority that comes to him internally through the tree of life. Now, that's the metaphor. Now, that's not describing exactly how it works. But that's the metaphor to give you an idea of how it works. There'll be people like Sam Harris who probably thinks, oh, well, no, you know, show me. Well, this is what Matthias Desmond is trying to show when he gets into chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. Is that scientists, the most brilliant scientists on the face of the earth, in our history, and our limited history, all come to the conclusion that they cannot reason themselves to the final answers about creation. They cannot use their mind, their logical mind, and find the final answers of creation. They, they, they say that it has to be by some sort of resonance, some sort of revelation. And these are the, the, the smartest men, supposedly, in science. And they say that science alone, which is just the study, and we talked about that this morning, it, it's, it's this idea of observation, examination, experimentation. That's what science is. But that science will only, with the use of logic, but that science will not take you to the final answer. It can never do that. What they're discovering is that they're naked. Their knowledge, their rationale is not enough. And that's a humbling experience for some. Now, they surmise, surmise that. And they spoke it. And he gives you lots of examples. You'll have to go and read the book. <laughs> Although, if you... There's lots of interviews out there with him and he makes reference to a lot of the different things that are in the book in these interviews. But that that's why he's making these references is that he thinks that, that we do need this revelation. That's very astute. That's very clever. But one of the things that he does early on and uh, I didn't uh, it, I've now put it in the notes for chapter 1. Under the first chapter, science and ideology. Science is not ideology, and ideology is not science. These are two separate things. I could probably put verses there, except that that's the name of his, his chapter. But he says in the book, due to the industrialization, mechanization, technologization of the world, Production capacity, economic power via a self-centralizing banking system. He knows something about that. He can see that too. And psychological power via mass media fell into the hands of an ever-decreasing number of people. In other words, a centralization of these economic powers and production capacity, etc., the Enlightenment tradition had promised people autonomy and freedom, but in a way, it brought people greater feeling of dependence and powerlessness 
than ever before. Now, the question is, before we read the rest of the quote, is it industrialization, mechanization, and technologization of the world that has actually brought this about? That's like saying the Mayflower caused America to be settled by pilgrims. Now, the Mayflower didn't cause it. It was a vehicle. But it was all the things that the pilgrims did before and during and after they got here that caused America to be settled by Puritans, at least in that area. The Mayflower was simply the vehicle that brought them across the sea. And this is this is really important, and I don't see Desmond actually catching that. And, and, but I'd love to have the discussion with him. And of course, we're going to have the discussion without him <laughs> actually being. And we, we could we could go on his show. He could come on our podcast. Somebody could send this recording to him, and we could have this discussion because he is he is seen a lot. But it's it's no good to have a conversation where we just agree on what we mutually see. There's only production in a congreg uh, in a conversation. When there's conflict in that conversation. When somebody says, well, do you see this? No, I didn't see that. Well, do you see this? Well, no, I, I saw a little of that, but I didn't see all of that. And and you go back and forth and you find out what you didn't see mutually. And hopefully in the conversation and in life, you come to the point where you do mutually see what you did not see before. So, this is this is what I'm saying. It's not the industrialization, it's not the mechanization, and it's not technology that has brought all this about. But that was the vehicle. So, the question is, what did bring it about? And he touches on that. Because of the fact that, you, you know, you walk around the elephant in the room, and you touch it here, and you touch it there, and you, you know, as we're all blind, trying to figure out what the truth is, and we say, oh, well, he's got a trunk. What does he have that for? He has legs, one in each corner. Ah, interesting. He has a tail. What's that for? And you start figuring it out until you have a clear picture of what you're dealing with. And that's what uh, that's what these different people, as as he, you know, like uh, Hannah Arendt, who was the author of the origin, uh, origins of totalitarianism, she saw some things. Desmond saw some things. Jordan Peterson sees some things. But there's some things that all of us do not see. Because we can't get to where we want to be through the tree of knowledge alone. These are very knowledgeable people. They're going to need inspiration. Now, if you tell them what they're missing, before they have that inspiration, they may hate you. They, they, they may even resist the inspiration. It would be much better if they have the inspiration. So, we have this conversation and we... 
we we put a little bit out and a little bit out and a little pieces of the puzzle and see if they can put them together, connect the dots. Because that's the chapter we're coming up on is the connect the dots chapter. <laughs> so anyway, um, this uh, the powerlessness caused people to increasingly mistrust those in power. The problem was that we allowed those people to get into power. And we talked about this briefly this morning. In 1 Samuel 8, there was corruption. There was a little corruption. And we're going to see how little corruption there was in societies when they become, everybody becomes corrupt and they move off the narrow path. And then their industrialization and mechanization and technology takes them down a wide path towards destruction. Because again, those are instruments, those are vehicles of of transportation in society. What society is, is generation to generation. It's man and woman from generation to generation. It's the family from generation. That's what society is. Now the way in which the man and woman relate that varies by custom, by practices, by ideologies. All these things can have an effect. Industrialization by itself, mechanization by itself, doesn't corrupt society. It may tempt society because of the fact that it can create power. There were times in Rome, in the Roman culture, where they were building gigantic ships gigantic, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of passengers, thousands and thousands of pounds of cargo, 400 seamen on this ship. I mean, these are big. It's not like you see in the movies. And how do they build that? Cooperation. They had to work together. And their society was very good. They would mine whole mountains out of existence. With hydro, uh, hydraulic mining practices. Because they worked together to do it. It wasn't because there was no Caesar making them do it. There was no central government. I, I, I think I have the picture up on a, on a page that shows where they had like half a dozen, more than a half a dozen, eight or nine, maybe ten mills. And they had water running these mills. With a water wheel. And each mill was grinding grain. It was a place somewhere in Gaul. What became France. And what they had done is they had channeled part of the river over from a high spot over to this area where they had these grist mills on a hill. And then below it another two grist mills. And below that another two grist mills. And below that another two grist mills. And the water wheel was turned in one by the water they channeled all the way over to this spot. And then that water went down and ran the next one and then it ran the next one and it ran the next one. Well, that's a lot of grain. That's, that's a huge industry. You're going to be grinding grain all day long with those water wheels constantly turning, turning, turning. Where are you going to get all that grain? I mean, there's probably room for some fields around. Well, down the river, 
They had barges. And those barges would grow grain way up in the plains. And they'd load the grain onto the barges. And the barges would come down to the mill. And and they'd wagon it over. And they, so they had this constant flow of grain. It was being trucked in by the barges and by wagons from the river. And they were grinding it and turning it into flour. And then shortly down the river, a little bit farther, there was a city. And maybe there was a port. And people were buying flour and baking bread. They could feed thousands of people with this industry of these gristmills. And of course down there they have guys who are making huge ovens and heating them up and throwing, the, mixing the bread and making the bread. Very efficient. Very industrious. Required a great deal of cooperation. No central government. No central authority. People in cooperation with one another. One of the largest, was it, uh, Mondo Dragon? Is that it? The, uh, one of the largest cooperatives in Europe. Huge, huge. But, there's also BlackRock. And some of these others that don't have the individual's interest at heart. Why are they so powerful? The fact is, is that the people, if they got together, they could create cooperatives that would run those guys out of business. Or at least squeeze them down to size. But you've been slothful. And that's one of the things Matthias Desmond has seen. The slothfulness. We talked about that this morning. Socialism makes us slothful. Socialism causes people to have lower and lower birth rates. Every place you have socialism, this is what takes place. Except, there are some minor exceptions. And this is what, Netanyahu tried to do something about it. I said, you know, the leader that tried to roll back social welfare through the state in Israel, saved Israel, who was facing economic collapse. But he just rolled it back a little ways, seeking the kingdom. You're going to roll it way back. If you roll it back to where Christ said to put it, and all you people voluntarily roll it back to where Christ said to put it, it's not the government's going to roll it back, it's the people have to roll it back. If you were to do that, it would set the captive free. But Netanyahu hasn't seen that yet. Tacitus didn't see it. Suetonius didn't see it. Uh... Octavius Caesar didn't see it. Augustus Caesar, who was Octavius, he didn't see it. But neither did Trajan. Neither did did Antonius Pius. Neither did Marcus Aurelius. Christ saw it. Christ knew how to set the captive free and he told us. But the modern church doesn't tell us what Christ was telling us. And even if they did, Many of you would not want to hear it. And you would not take back your responsibilities. And, and that's what, that's because you're still suffering from the Adam syndrome. That you don't want to admit you can't do this by yourself. That you can't figure this out by yourself. You can't vote in a Nimrod and still be free. You can't vote. You vote in Trump, you're not going to be free. 
You're using a man who exercises authority, who you hope to be your benefactor, and you're trying to roll back some of the errors that socialism always brings and go back to where you were in, what, the 1980s, 1970s, 1960s, 1950s, to the happy days? You want to go back there? Those days led to these days. You got to go farther back. Can't just roll it back a little ways. So this powerless caused people to increasingly mistrust those in power that, that should have never been in power. Christ created a government of servants. We talked about that this morning. But Nimrod, FDR, actually FDR, when he first created some of the departments for social welfare and all this stuff in, in the government back in the 30s, you know what he called those guys who he was creating the offices for? They were called dictators. He actually, that was actually their title, was dictators. <laughs> kind of a heads up, in my opinion, but uh, they did change that. Because it sounded too true, too much truth in the name. But it was going to lead to despotism. Throughout the 19th century, fewer and fewer people felt that political leaders really represented their voice in public space or defended their interest. As a result, man also became disassociated from the social classes that were represented. Okay, so what is, he's not going back far enough. You go back, back to what we were talking about, 1066, when a church started crowning kings over men. That's not the only thing they were doing. They tried to get kings to create tax laws that would fund the church. Because the church, we knew, we knew a thousand years ago, that religion, we knew 2,000 years ago, that religion, pure religion, was how you take care of the needy of your society. And, and we knew that Christians were tried because they would not join the social welfare system of Rome. They had their own private social welfare system. And, and they explained that in Justin the Martyr's letter. We meet every week and those who have share with those that don't have enough. That's how we do it. He's explaining this to Antonius Pius. Tacitus wasn't going to have that. Of course, that was after Tacitus. But Suetonius wasn't going to have it. Marcus Aurelius wasn't going to have it. No, you have to join our system. That's what the Pharisees wanted the apostles to join their system. Wanted Jesus to advocate their system. Wanted John the Baptist to advocate their system. But their system depended upon men who exercised authority to force the contributions of the people. Because the church in the wilderness that did not do that changed things with the Pharisees and said, well, we know we can't do it. But we can get Herod to do it. And we will supply the men who will go about 
enforce the collection of taxes to provide a social welfare for the people. Solomon tried that and they referred to him as the second pharaoh. People referred to him as the second pharaoh. Because he was creating a Corby system where you had to pay in a portion. You had to pay in a portion. You had to give him some of your labor to support his government. You had to. But Christ said we weren't to do that. We were to support a government of the people, for the people, and by the people through free will offerings. Where Davy Crockett said the same thing. Horatio Bunce said the same thing. You go read our article on Davy Crockett at Preparing You, and you'll see. And this is where Matthias Desmond, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, uh, Oliver Anthony, the, the singer, the red bearded singer, this is where they need to take it. They need to take it back to where, and that Yahoo needs to do it. Like I said, what he saw going on in Israel were Muslims out in the desert would marry one woman, divorce her, and, but still have children with her. And then she would go on welfare because she had no husband. She was divorced. And, but she had lots of kids. And so they would receive money from the government. Because they, so a woman without a husband needed lots of kids. Now they were still living together. But on paper they were divorced. And because he was a Muslim he could marry another woman. Start another family. He might have two or three wives. All having children. All divorced. All applying for welfare. And he's driving around in a Mercedes Benz. Netanyahu explained that when he was talking with Jordan Peterson. And you have, and, and so they're going to fix that by plugging up that loophole in their system. But what they're not seeing is their system is a covetous practice. They only have money to give people you know, women who are on welfare because they force the contributions of the people. It makes the government very popular because the people go to the government to take care of the needy of their family. They don't go to their family. They don't go to, you know, their their husband. They don't go to their natural father. They don't go to their father-in-law. If their husband were to die, that's who they would go to is their father-in-law. They don't do that anymore. That's the way we used to do it. Now we go to the government. Which was one of the last things that I read in our show this morning. Matthew 23, 9. And called no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Very simple thing. Very simple statement. Almost nobody today in the modern church understands. Because they're talking about the government. That's the fathers of the earth. The conscripted fathers. That's what they call them. Conscripted fathers. Conscripti patri in the Latin. That's the Senate. 
And who's the father? Caesar. Because he's giving welfare. Now over there in Israel, it's Netanyahu. I think it is. I don't know. It might be somebody different now. But he he reorganized the free bread of Israel that is provided by men who exercise authority because he's one he's the chief executive officer of Israel or was back at that time he got reelected he, he almost got destroyed politically because he did this but they were already disastrously in trouble because of the centralization of the economic powers of Israel and and because they were borrowing against the future it wasn't because of industrialization or mechanization or technological uh, changes in society. It was because they altered the way in which they related to one another through the economic powers. They also altered the way in which they established their courts, which we did in America back around 1910. I mean, it was always there, but we began to shift things over into this other administrative court system. You go back to the Judiciary Act of 1789. Is it 17? I think I got that wrong. No, 17, yeah, 1789. I think that's correct. I I have a copy of it at Preparing You. You can look it up. And uh, the Judiciary Act. Just search for that. You'll find it. And that allows for administrative courts when there isn't a remedy at common law. Nobody's at common law anymore. Your juries don't have the right to decide fact in law. They could. We could go back. I mean, the, the, the avenue for those courts still exists. But you don't know anything about that. You don't know anything about law. You don't know anything about money. You don't know anything about a social welfare system that sets the captive free. You only know about the social welfare system of Sumer and Nimrod and Cain and and FDR. Until you address that, you're not going to solve the problem. But when you address that, you don't need any more walls. (laughs) And Munster will be safe, even without the walls. But anyway, we'll get off too far on a tangent. But I'm trying to bring you up to speed looking at what we were looking at this morning. Uh, Hannah Arden used this term, atomized uh, subject. And what what I, I think, you know, I haven't read her book yet, but what I think they're, they're talking about is this, they're dividing everybody from each other. At the same time, they're creating a collective. They're taking away the fathers of the individual family, the patriarch. The patriarch's supposed to be bad. Patriarch, bad. Central government, good. <laughs> no, no. Central government is collective patriarchy. Instead of having, you know, a hundred million fathers in America, we got one. Joe Biden. Joe Biden's the father. You know, he, he's, the, he's the, the big guy. 
And he signs executive orders and he gets things passed because uh, all the Democrats are marching and step. But he's going to provide you with benefits, pay your student loans, give, give you all. But in reality, what you actually look around and see, they're cutting food stamps. And they're cutting Medicare. And they're cutting Medicaid. Oh, they're, they're promising you all these things. Oh, we're going to pay your student loans? Oh, and maybe not. Oh, we're going to feed the poor? Oh, maybe not. They promise you liberty from your responsibilities. And you like that argument. You don't really want liberty. You just want liberty from your responsibility. Even the people voting for Trump. They want to vote Trump in and he will fix it. No, you fix it. Wanting to vote Trump in to power to fix it. You can go vote for Trump. I'm not telling you not to vote for Trump. I'm not making campaigns against voting. I'm telling you what the problem is. I'm telling you what the solution is. You better be pursuing that and not get distracted from the solution by thinking if we just get Trump into power, he will fix things. That You know what that sounds like to me when I hear people say that? It's saying we just get Saul into power, <laughs> then he will fix things. And then Saul ends up going a little crazy like the people in Munster. And they say, well, maybe we need to get David in there. Oh, if we get David in there, he'll fix things. No, it didn't actually work out. Now, David screwed up, repented, screwed up, repented. But David was corrupted too by the power. Some guys said, let's let's get Gideon in there later on. They said, let's get Gideon in there. Or actually, it wasn't later on, it was earlier uh, but another time, they wanted to get Gideon in there. And Gideon said, hey, I and my family, we will not rule over you. He helped out as a general for a short period of time, but I, we're not going to rule over you. Because you need to take back your responsibilities. And, and they knew it. And that's what they were trying to do, is get people to take back their responsibilities. Always. When they came out of Egypt... Looking at the caller, see if there's any. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If anybody has a question in the chat room, they need to put a big brother Gregory right after. You know, start their statement right away with brother Gregory, and I'll look at and, and make it a short question so I don't take a lot of time <laughs> looking at it. But anyway, very important to do that now. Uh, there is a number out there. We sent it out. Uh, if you're not on the email group, which you can join in your local area, wherever you are, go to the network links at PreparingYou or HisHolyChurch.org and join those network links uh, in your area. You know, if you're in Texas, join the Texas group. If you're in uh, Europe, join the Europe group. And uh, And then... You'll, there are people who monitor these different groups, hopefully, and uh, maybe we'll start getting more and more people. If for some reason we do get interviewed by people like uh, Jordan Peterson or Matthias Desmond, 
uh, then more and more people will hear about the network and then you can actually start connecting people. That's what Jordan Peterson wants to do with his his system of, uh, let's see, we talked about it briefly this morning, uh, where the, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, I should bold that so I can find it again next time, <laughs> more easily. That's what he's doing. He wants to get the people organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and he thinks he's emulating what Moses was doing. But they're not seeing. They don't have a correct vision, which is one of the things that came up in their, his conversation with uh, Oliver Anthony, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. But people are not. They they have a vision, but they don't have a vision of righteousness. They have a vision of somebody's going to pay my student loan. Somebody's going to guarantee my Medicare, my Medicaid. Somebody's going to pay down my medical bills. Somebody's going to give me Social Security. Because uh, it's for God sure my kids aren't going to take care of me because they're all a bunch of losers. Or maybe I don't even have kids. Uh, I, I didn't raise them. I sent them away to public school and they did a terrible job. That darn public school. And, and my kids became drug addicts and my kids did this and my kids did that. And oh my gosh, it's all somebody else's fault. No, it's our fault. Generation after generation for the last hundred years we've been turning our children over to other people, to strangers. Now it's gotten so crazy if you go look at uh, what they're teaching your kids in school, and everybody goes like, oh, they're they're te- they've got you know gay story hour, you know transgender story hour, and they got all these crazy ideas, and and did you see what's in the books? Do you see what's not in the books? Go read our schools as tools. They've been dumbing down your kids, and they've been dumbing down the parents of your kids and they've been dumbing down the grandparents of your kids for a hundred years. They've been taking stuff out of the school books. How do they know what to take out? Because today they don't even know what to take out. They just, now they're putting garbage in. But this is the point. It wasn't industrialization. It wasn't mechanization. It is because we already turned away from God. How did we turn away from God? Isn't that what they tell Samuel when they said, give us the king? They say, give us the king. And he, he says, but if I give you a king, you know, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, God will not hear you. Now, give us a king anyway. Why would they say that? Well, it tells you there in the verses that, you know, they hadn't turned away from Samuel. They still trusted Samuel, but they turned away from God. How did the people turn away from God? I mean, they they still had their temples and they, they actually ended up building a stone temple. David had started building a stone temple. He put off. He decided there was something wrong with that. 
on the morning program, one of the commercials comes up, is that they talk about, oh, do they have to build the third temple or is it the third or fourth or whatever temple it is and start the daily sacrifice before some prophecy takes place? Well, the temple you need to build is not made with hands. It's not made out of dead stones. It's made with living stones. It's people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and starting to take care of one another in an alliance of responsibility. Now, when you say alliance for responsible citizenship, what kind of citizenship is that? Because there's a couple of different kinds of citizenship. And you can go read our article on citizenship and find out what that is. I've already bolded that phrase in the notes on the page so that people can see it. But uh, I should make that a link, the word citizen there, make it a link to our article on citizenship so that you can actually find out what kind of citizen you need to be. And you can't just become the kind of citizen you want to become. But you can start the journey to go back to that way. And when you do, something mysterious is going to take place. They're going to want to kick you out of the system. They're going to want to separate you out. They're they're going to want you to get out of Egypt. But where are you going to go? Well, that's another story. And in order before we get to that, because if I give you an intellectual pathway out, you'll follow it like you followed something you plucked from the tree of knowledge. You need a spiritual way out. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to change the way in which you relate to spiritual things. So, so they want a vision for the future. You need to clear, you need to have a clear vision of the past. What makes a good leader? That's one of the questions that came up in the, in an interview with Jordan Peterson in this uh, Oliver Anthony, which I put a few of the notes right in here where we're talking about Desmond and his book. And Jordan Peterson says, if people are using power, force, and fear, that's not a good leader. That's not a good leader. But that's what people are using. Socialism is... Power, force, and fear. That's how it operates. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate by power, force, and fear. It operates by faith, hope, and charity. That even the ministers don't exercise authority one over the other. They're unhewn stones of a living altar that takes care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. That's what you need. If you go back that way, Everything that that's that's going to the kingdom. Now, can you do it righteously? Well, that's the question. I, I can't answer that. I mean, for everybody, it's it's an individual thing. But the choice and the responsibility to make that choice is now going to be in the hands of the people. Now, you know, I, I I'll make this little point which I wrote down in my notes. How do you tell other people the truth? That 
The church they're going to now is the apostate church. The church they're going to now has led them back into the bondage of Egypt. The church they're going to now has been tickling their ears so that they did not diligently seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it has brought them into bondage. It's brought the whole world back into bondage. It's killing your children. It's killing your elderly. It's it's trying to reduce the world's population to like a billion people. So like six billion people got to go. And they're working away at it. And yeah, there was COVID, which they created evidently in a lab. And then their remedy for COVID was a shot that doesn't keep you from getting COVID. It actually allows you to get COVID and produce more of the spike protein while you have COVID. You don't feel as sick at first, but the more times you get it, because you can keep getting it, over and over again you can get it, and every time you get it, you're producing the spike protein, and you're shedding it to your children and to the people around about. And now they're even giving little six-month-old children the shot. And they will be creating spike protein, which is causing blood clots. Clearly, millions of people have had blood clots. They're not even really blood clots. Tissue clots is what we're seeing. I mean, that's just a fact. You know, it's out there. How much is out there? I can't tell you. They don't want to know. They would be doing studies to find out. Everybody who dies, they would be doing autopsies. The 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 scientist who was doing autopsies when COVID broke out, he's performed lots and lots of autopsies on people who got COVID and eventually on people who got the shot. And and he works for Georgetown University, or at least that's where he was doing his experiment. And he was seeing and he warned people of the dangers. Because he was seeing it right away. Liver damage. It was seen accumulating in uh, the uh, reproductive organs. He saw this. I communicated with him. I wrote him. He wrote me back. I published. This is way back. Way back. Before they even came out with vaccinations or anything. He was even warning back then. That whatever vaccination come out. Needed to be really tested. Because of the danger of the spike protein. Might. Might be in the vaccination. He's thinking a normal vaccination. It's not only in the vaccination. The vaccination they give now, which is the jab, they call it. It's not even a vaccination. It actually tricks your body into producing spike protein. The one that does the damage. And they're they're coming out with this for your cattle. You know, we're talking serious famine here. Now, I'm suspecting, actually I just had a flash. Unless the days were cut short, they would get away with reducing the world population down to 10% of what it is today. Unless the days were cut short. I just flashed on how they're going to cut the days short. <laughs> but I'm not supposed to tell you yet. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is that you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have to realize that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation where one generation sacrifices itself, its life, its time, its energy for the next generation. 
That's built into the system. Now you have to repeat that in everything. Every congregation comes together to sacrifice itself for another congregation. This is where you you not only produce your bread, but you cast your bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you after many days. This is the way it works. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the narrow way. But we forgot that. We abandoned that. We went away from that. And we went another way. A way that's not righteous. And that that's what the problem was. The problem was not industrialization. Industrialization did create some temptations. But they didn't cause the problem. Just like the ships... The the uh, Mayflower and the Godspeed and the ships that they were going to take over here. Of course, they had to, the one had to keep going back. Was it the Godspeed? I think it was. It had to keep going back. So they ended up here with only one ship, <laughs> not two ships. <laughs> they wanted to have two ships so the strangers could go on and they could stay there. That was the plan. That was the plot. Uh, and, and that's why they kept going back and trying to fix that ship and then finally that ship couldn't come. And if that ship had come, they would have stayed. The pilgrims would have stayed. The strangers would have gone where they were supposed to go all along. It's total conspiracy. Total conspiracy. Very clearly a conspiracy. Uh, you know, we have the logs of some of the ships. We We know about meetings that went on before. You just put it together and you say, oh my gosh, that's what they were up to. They were up to those pilgrims. They were being naughty. Naughty, naughty, naughty. But God saved them. He didn't let the Godspeed come. (laughs) And so they ended up fulfilling their contract in another place. But we still forgot what they were doing. They, they, They were... What they needed to do. What made America great was the fact that we were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. There was no social welfare. The common purse, the idea of the central storehouse, that did not work. They starved every year they had it. They starved in Plymouth and they starved in Jamestown. When they stopped that, starvation ended. But we're headed for starvation again. The sooner we stop the common purse, the better off we will be. So anyway, those chapters, we went through uh, some of these chapters. Uh, and I started talking about the, uh, his name is Christian Huyen, Huyen, I think it is, Huyen might be the pronunciation. It's a, it's a Dutch name. Uh, and Pendulum Synchronization. And I talked about that briefly this morning. And I made reference to the fact that man is composed of a billion clocks. And what pendulum synchronization is, is that you get one pendulum that's going back and forth and you know, on a wall in a clock. And then you hang all these other clocks on the wall, all these other pendulum clocks. And they're supposed to be timed so that, you know, but the pendulums are swinging to the left and the right and the right and the left. And they're all going... But they're, they're, they're geared so that they stay in sync. 
as far as the time on the face of the clock. But the pendulum was just going to go with however you started it, right? It's not going to change. They noticed that it did change. And they could actually find walls of clocks with pendulums where the pendulums began to synchronize themselves. Hoyen, Christian Hoyen, he went and he he showed how that a pendulum, which you think is independent, would start to go with another pendulum. But like I said, we're a billion clocks. If there's conflict in your life, all those billion clocks, all those cells, and the pulsing of those cells will not be in sync. If you're angry, if you're afraid. And, and now, Desmond, in the subsequent chapters, he's going to talk more and more about the idea that what you think is recreating the physical realm that you live in. That, I mean, we, did, we know this. Your attitude about being sick may allow you to become well. You know, people people are told, you know, that you're going to die in six months and they die in six months because they believe they're going to die in six months. He said, well, no, they had cancer and he said they probably got six months to live and then they die in six months. How How, how is that? How is that possible? I mean, Jordan Peterson's wife, she said that I will be well in such and such a time. When the time came, she was well. Did she predict the future? Or did she produce the future by her faith that she would be well by that time? Now there's limitations in this. But they know that the placebo effect is a real thing. He talks a great deal about that. He, he, he gives you lots and lots of different examples how the attitude and thinking of the people altered the outcome, changed the physical environment. Those who study quantum physics are seeing that all the time. And, and he covers some of this in the immeasurable universe and, and some of these others. But back in this artificial society, this pendulum, the, the clock within you, if you're around people that are getting angry, you may get angry. If you're around people that are selfish, you may become selfish. Because their pendulum is swinging in a selfish mode. And they will make you selfish. You, you'll be influenced by the thoughts and thinking of the people around about you. Now, fortunately, we're pretty scattered and you're not necessarily overwhelmed by this, but this is what mass hysteria is. And, of course, what we saw with COVID was virtually mass hysteria, driven by the media, driven by fear, driven by our own ignorance. But, of course, you know, as Desmond points out, that you may have known for years the best immunity is natural immunity. For some reason, they threw that out the window. Immunologists knew for years you never vaccinate in a pandemic. Because that's where you're going to get all the variants if you vaccinate in real vaccination into a pandemic. That's not a good idea. That's a bad plan. Shutdowns. We knew shutdowns would probably cause more deaths. Not only because it shut down the economy, 
But it prolonged, you know, they say slow the spread. No, no, you don't want to slow the spread. You want, want the spread to go as quickly as possible. And you want the young people who develop immunity almost immediately and don't get sick, you want them to get it first. You know, you, it doesn't mean to take your kids down to COVID patients. But the sooner the kids get immune, the better off the whole of society is. Because that's where it's going to stop. Now, you're not getting rid of COVID. The, it will continue to change and morph and all this stuff. But you're not getting rid of it because it actually can go into the animal population. But we know that. We knew that. But the guys who knew it, their voices were sh- silenced. Somebody had to know to silence them. Because they they didn't want you to hesitate to take the vaccination. Vaccine hesitancy because people were saying bad things about the vaccination and, and saying that natural immunity was better and all this stuff. Well, people have been telling you that the United States is a republic. That's not what the American creed says. It says it's a democracy within a republic. The United States is a democracy within a republic. That's what the creed states of the United States passed in, you know, and in the congressional record that the United States, and you can tell this just by reading the Constitution, it's an indirect democracy within an original republic. Well, China is a communist government within a republic. You see, there's a problem here. We need to look at the whole truth in order to figure out what's going on. So, he is right that the online interaction disrupts the mechanisms of mutual interaction of life and the residence of a natural living entity. Digital conversations is constantly, are constantly being in the presence of the other person's absence. That's what he says. It's being in the presence of the other person's absence. You're, you're texting them. You're communicating with them. But there's no actual eye contact. There's no exchange of the sound of voice. We're made to have that sound of voice. We used to have it with a phone. It was distorted a little bit. And, and we could have FaceTime now where we actually see people and talk to them. But as we were talking about in Capgras. Capgras is that you see your father, you see your mother, you see your spouse. And it causes an electrical charge to go through a nervous system in your brain back to a spot that reassures you that that's your mother, that's your father, that's your spouse. But if you damage that little wire in your brain, the physical wire in your brain, you damage it that signal doesn't go back and people will actually think that's not my husband, that's not my wife. So they'll try to figure out, well, who is this? If it's not my husband, it's not my wife, it's not my father, it's not my mother, who is it? They actually come up with their aliens, their demons, their, their, you know, their pod people. They actually do this. This is a real thing. Happens to people 
all the time. Thousands of people it has happened to. And sometimes it's because they have a terrible fever, but methamphetamines will do it. A lot of methamphetamine addicts damage that part of their brain. And I gave examples. You can listen to the morning show, the earlier show, which will be uh, totalitarianism A. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's a real thing. So, but when you you start having these electronic devices, I resisted texting at first because it is a, it is a temptation to not reassure those bonds that have connected us with others of sight and sound. Uh, and we're enter, entering a dimension of sight and sound where there is nobody <laughs> except for electronic devices. That's not good. Uh, and so we have to work at renewing those connections. We have to know that. But that isn't the problem. That 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 is a problem. But the problem, what happened before the Industrial Revolution was happening at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the mechanization of so many things, the mass media. What was... What were we losing back then? And of course I, I touched on it this morning. That common law courts were the courts of America. And the common law courts decided fact and law. And they could pass a statute, but if you didn't think it was fair, the jury could just simply nullify the effect of that statute. Now they'll try to tell you, oh no, 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 you can't do that. But we all knew that that was the case a hundred years ago. But it's not anymore. So the people were the jury. They could nullify the effect of the uh, of the guys who are in the legislature. That's a lot of power. But wait a minute. You say there's three branches of government. There's three branches of government in the United States government. But in America, there's four branches of government. Three of them are in the federal government. And the state governments, which is the judiciary and the legislature and the executive branch. But there's a fourth branch of government in a republic. And that is the people. Now, the people wear lots of hats. They're judge and jury if they're in a common law court, which you're not in anymore. And you can't just say, well, I'm going to, I want to be tried at common law. Well, maybe you've already waived that right before you were you know, 25 years old. Maybe you waived it. Maybe you waived it when you were 18. And and you're not in it. And besides that, you need 12 other guys and you don't have them. Because there's other things you failed to do even before you abandoned the common law. Abandoned your responsibility to decide fact and law. Well, of course, you abandoned your responsibility to educate your next generation. You said the government, the professionals in the government could teach my children. Did they teach them about jury nullification? Did they teach your children that that uh, that Texas was as foreign to Louisiana as Mexico is to Canada? That oh, let's, let's take a couple of the uh, states along and that 
New York was as foreign to Connecticut, or New Hampshire was as foreign to Connecticut (laughs) as uh, Mexico is to Canada, even after the ratification of the Constitution. That they were like separate countries. And you were a citizen of New Hampshire, or you were a citizen of Connecticut, or New York. You were not a citizen of the United States. That didn't come about until later. They didn't tell you that. Did they tell you that had the Constitution been put to a popular vote of the people of the Republic, it would have been voted down? No, they didn't tell you that in school. In the book, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, we show you. But we only show you those pieces, those Jots and tills of information that the others didn't want to show you. But ultimately what you need to know is how to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You need to know where you turned and went down the wrong road. And then now you have to turn around your thinking and start heading for the right road. So... Uh, in our attempt of removing discomfort without self-examination ended the declaration of the ancient maxim to know thyself, which includes to know thy location in the universe, which is on a wall of clocks where we become atomized subjects according to Hannah Arden. What, what am I talking about? Know thyself. Know thy place. Know thy... Uh, your place is that you have dominion of this planet. Individually, you have dominion. And you're supposed to dress it and keep it. That's your place. You've left that place. In order to do that, in order to get back to that place, you need to know yourself. In order to know yourself, you need to go back to the tree of life. In order to go back to the tree of life, you're going to enter into the light that is shining at the tree of life and you're going to see that you were wrong. And one of the first things you want to check is, am I blaming everything on everybody else? Or am I admitting that I was wrong? Am I taking care of my neighbor? Do I care about my neighbor as much as I care about myself? Or am I willing to sell my neighbor into bondage so that I can have free stuff from men who exercise authority over my neighbor and take away from my neighbor so that I can have more free stuff? You see, we have to deal with that dynamic. And that's what we stop doing. We stop taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. It was a little bit at a time. One of the things that caused us to do this is we became extremely affluent. And with that affluence came temptation. Like people say, why I didn't have TV for years and years. Well, you know, I we did bring a TV into the house from time to time when the kids were growing up. Very limited access to it. But I told them, I said, the reason we have this TV, somebody gave it to us. We didn't even buy it. We, I've, I haven't bought a TV in I don't know how long. I did buy a used one once from a thrift store for 20 bucks. But, uh, 
reason I did get it, people say, are you afraid it's going to corrupt your family? I said, I'm afraid it's going to corrupt me. (laughs) It's a big temptation, all the things you can see on TV. And so you have to be very careful. But I told them that the reason we got a TV is so that we learned to turn it off. If you never let them see these temptations of the world, they will never learn to overcome them. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, my son, when he learned to walk, he learned to walk in one day. He just got up and fell down and got up and fell down and got up and fell down until he could walk. Because all of a sudden he decided he was going to walk. Because he saw somebody else walking that he wanted to go and follow. <laughs> and uh, up to, the, I mean, he was like 12, 14 months old. Uh, 14 months old, I think, before he learned to walk. He had no other kids as an example. And all of a sudden we had a kid living next door to us and he saw that kid and he wanted to keep up with him and he was still rolling around. He didn't even learn to crawl. He just, he got everywhere by rolling. But he wanted to learn to walk. One day he learned to walk. And he was cocky. <laughs> I come in from work and uh, my wife says to my son, he says, show daddy what you learned. And he walks towards me. You know, he's just walking. Now he'd, He'd fallen down and got up and fallen down, fell asleep in one spot, woke up, because he took his nap right on the floor, woke up and he kept trying until he learned to walk. And he walked towards me and I put out my hands to take his hands and he pulled his hands away and turned around with a big grin on his face. I don't even need you. I can walk on my own. (laughs) And I think that characteristic has flowed through him ever since. But he's learned to do an awful lot of walking and running and working (laughs) on his own. But he still needs his father in heaven. He still needs that father. He can can bypass me, but he needs that father in heaven. He needs that tree of life. He needs to approach that tree of life. In order to do that, you have to see what you've done wrong. And he's pretty good at seeing a lot of those things. But, uh, and I used to tell him first, uh, my oldest, you know, so he's got a lot of my wisdom early on. I said that uh, two ways to learn things, <laughs> easy or hard. Sometimes he learned them the easy way. Sometimes he learned them the hard way. But he's learning. But that's what we all have to do. But what did we stop learning about that got us into this totalitarianism state? where thousands and millions of people have been killed by shutdowns, by, you know, manufactured viruses, because we know it was made in a lab now. And evidently a lot of people have died from their solution. What's the next solution? What's the next problem that's coming around the corner? Are we going to die from that too? Well, Desmond is seeing these, that something's going on. And he mentions banking. He mentions debt. He mentions personal sovereignty. He mentions responsibility. Jordan Peterson talks about responsibility. But what does that look like? And of course, that's where we started. That we're supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what Christ was trying to teach us. So what does that look like? Chapter 4 immeasurable universe. He says, Numbers may not lie, but men do. First to themselves and then to others. Actually, I said that. No, I think he said numbers don't lie. Well, actually, 
Ryan Cole was saying that. Ryan Cole is a doctor who's, you know, pulled out three-foot flesh clots inside of people's veins. And and he's seen samples of them from lots of people. He sees, he has a way, you know, if you're a doctor and you actually want to start doing what doctors used to do, you have to go way back to when my grandfather was a doctor. My grandfather was a doctor when he did house calls. He was in a horse and buggy <laughs> doing house calls. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a story where he was going to cross a bridge in a storm because somebody was having a baby way out in the country, and he had a horse and buggy. It was early in his career. They eventually got cars, <laughs> but uh, had to cross that bridge and didn't want to stop the horse. And he just ran across that bridge where those wheels had to follow on these little boards uh, and stay because the bridge was narrow and there were, wasn't a railing. And, you know, he just like, yeah, he went right across. The, the horse had zigged or zagged. He tried to pull up the horse or something. horse could have balked or the buggy could have pushed him and they both ended up in the creek. But that's uh but that doctor back then they had a different attitude about a lot of stuff. And there's still a lot of doctors around. They could see that there's solutions, there's other alternatives. But there was a media that was suppressing that. So what's the solution? How are you gonna make the media honest? What was the media in ancient Israel when it was a republic? What was the media? Well, you went to church. You went to the church in the wilderness. Because they're connected by the tens, hundreds, and thousands all over the country. They go to these meetings, you know, several times a year. They have these convocations. They get all the news. There are guys going around and we will talk about them more. They're mentioned when we go through our study on Ezra. There were guys called singers. What are singers? Yeah, actually, if you, you read our free church report, I think it's in the free church report, we talk about choirs. What's a choir? Well, today a choir is a bunch of people who sing in church. They, they like to sing these songs and that's the choir. But that's not what it originally meant. Just like originally religion was how you took care of the needy of society. Now religion is how you get your ears tickled on Sunday or Sabbath. You know, I mean, the... the the Anabaptists in Munster, they had they had a religion, but they went nuts. They went crazy. Started, you know, sleeping with all kinds of women and 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 killing people and driving people out and occupying a whole city. They just went nuts with power. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And they were absolutely corrupt. So, numbers may not lie, but men do. First to themselves and then to others. And that's why we're at where we're at. It's because people said, I'm a Christian, and that's a lie. They're not a Christian. We can check that out by simply seeing what Jesus says is, you know, if a Christian is somebody following Christ, and Christ said, don't do this or do do that, and you're doing the opposite of what Christ said, you're not a follower of Christ, and therefore you're not a Christian. You could tell me you're born again, but if you don't love the light... If you're still doing works of iniquity, 
You're still coveting your neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority so that you can have free stuff at the expense of your neighbor. You're probably not only merchandise, you're not Christian merchandise. That simple. Am I attacking your delusion? No, I'm telling you the truth. But people have lied to themselves. And, and this is one of the things that Arndt points out, Hannah points out. This lying becomes more acceptable for the atomized subjects. When you start dividing the people away from each other, and what you do, which you could do with an industrial society, you could do with a mechanized society, you you can do with a technological society that all those things can contribute to that separation of the individuals so that they they don't have they're not building those connections but what we want to do is build the social bonds of a free society if we were attending to the weightier matters which Jesus condemned the Pharisees for not doing what are the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. How do you attend to that? You're the jury of your peers. Deciding fact and law. You don't take an oath to waive your right to jury nullification. Now you got to find 11 other guys who understand that. <laughs> and, and when they ask you, they ask you to raise your right hand in the jury box and repeat after them. That's your moment to say, what are you talking about? I'm not taking that oath. Of course, they give it to you a little at a time. So you have to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you say, decide this according to the laws of the state of whatever, are you suggesting that I waive my right to jury nullification? Boy, you will see the whole court explode at that moment. Because <laughs> that's what you're doing. There's no statutory requirement to take that oath. Now, they might impose it in the future, but you can say, hey, I'm not taking that oath. I'm not waiving my right to decide fact and law. I may need that in order to to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which Christ commanded me to do. But you haven't been doing that for a hundred years in America. There's There's a bond that you broke. You haven't been creating public schools entirely through charity, because that's what we used to do. In in the book Jane Eyre, they wanted to provide education for the poor people. Other people could get tutors. The wealthy could get tutors. They wanted to provide education for the poor people. Did they go to the state and say, will you tax my neighbor to do this? This is the 1800s. No. They did it through charity. They went to the people who had money and they said, can you give us some money so that we can hire a teacher to teach the poor kids? And they did. Sinjin saw to it that Jane Eyre was hired to teach the kids reading, writing, arithmetic. Including the girls. 
That's how we, that's what made America great eventually. That wasn't in America, but that's what made America great. And college education, you can get a college education at Yale, Princeton, Harvard. And if you didn't have the money, you didn't have to borrow it. You didn't have to get a student loan that you'd have to pay off, $40,000, $50,000 student loan. You didn't have to do that. If you could keep up your grades, you could go to those colleges. It was written into their charters. But we changed that. There's not, that broke bonds. Because the alumni would, when they became successful, and of course now the teachers want to see those students successful. Because when they become successful, they can donate money to keep the college afloat. Now we don't do that. We get the kids to go out and borrow money at interest to feed the institutions of higher learning. (laughs) Yeah, there's one lesson they're teaching you. I don't know if you're learning it. But then how many, how many government subsidies do these colleges get? Because now you've got your legislature, those conscripted patries, taxing people left and right, and they have millions of dollars to give away, so they endow this college, they endow that college. Now when you have a pandemic, and university professors like John Ioannidis and many others, who want to speak out? No, this isn't a you know this isn't a good idea. Oh no, this is oh they're shut down. They're told that they will not get any more grants from the from the college because they don't want to upset the government or they won't get any more grants. You've just centralized power, power, power left and right. Why didn't you see this coming? I could see it coming. Matthias evidently could see it. Of course, it's pretty late. It's pretty obvious now. It's because you haven't been eating of the tree of life. You've been eating of the tree of knowledge only. If you you can you you can have the tree of knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing, but your ultimate decision must be based on revelation. This is how it goes. I'm going to go back and look at my. Uh, just in case, <laughs> okay, nobody's got their hand up. But this is so we're getting closer and closer here. We're 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 starting to see what has been missing. Because see, they're they're dividing you. This is atomized. This is what she means by atomized subjects. Everybody is an individual in a collective, and you've gone. You know that you've. You've taken the fathers out of the family and you made the state the father. The wife doesn't have to depend upon her husband for a paycheck when she has a child or two child or three child. She depends on the state. And we know that a one child, a one parent family, especially when that parent is only a woman and there is no man present, there is no male presence. The child is statistically more likely to have emotional problems, uh, violent, uh, violent problems, criminal problems, uh, adjustment, uh, depression problems. Girls are more likely to have depression, self-esteem problems, because there's no man in the house. We know that. Statistically, it tells you that. 
is that you don't have to make it up. So there's another place where we're breaking those bonds down. So we're, we're not educating our children. We're depending upon the state to educate our children. That goes back way before 1913. Although most kids in America were not educated in a public school in 1900. Most kids were not educated in a public school. And even by 1910, 1920, not even up to about 1930, public schools were not entirely funded by tax dollars. They were funded by the people. The activities were almost entirely funded by the people. You know, the extracurricular activities. But you have steadily moved more and more to look to government to solve your problems. Electing Trump, electing anybody. You can name anybody who's a candidate. It's not going to solve the problem. The problem is you've been looking to government to solve the problem and you're supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You say, okay, so we're going to get together and we're going to be the government. Well, what binds that government together? A system of social welfare based on charity. Where you give to a minister, you freely give, you completely give to a minister of your choice. You look out amongst yourself, you find men you trust, and you fund them to take care of the needy in your society. You do it. You fund them. You can stop anytime they're not doing a good job. If they go Munster on you, <laughs> like the Anabaptists in Munster, if they go crazy because you've given them too much and they start getting fat and lazy, you say, I'm not going to give to you guys anymore. I'm going to find somebody else I trust because I don't trust you anymore. If they had done that back in First Samuel, they would not have needed a king. They could have done that because they were still in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You say, your sons are corrupt. And so you tell your local minister, anybody who funds... The sons of Samuel, we're not going to pick them as a minister anymore. We're not going to tithe to him. We're not going to support him until they get that straight. But in order to do that, they have to be caring about the people. Because see, most of what the sons of Samuel were doing, the corruption they were doing, it didn't affect most of the people in Israel. It only affected people in certain local areas. You know, because you have to remember that those priests up there were the appeals courts. So, you know, like, they're prosecuting Trump now. How how this is even going to court? You know, I've been in court since I was nine years old. That's almost three quarters of a century. It, It is absolutely ridiculous this is even going to court. It's nonsense. These aren't even crimes. Uh, if, if, meanwhile, you have the opposing party clearly taking bribes of millions and millions of dollars. You know, this whole thing of going to electric cars and, and, and solar power and, and windmills and all this stuff. Who's making all that stuff? Who controls that market? It's mostly China. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that there's an agenda. Somebody's making money on that deal, 
And besides, it's not that green anyway. I mean, there's a place for solar, and there's a place for wind. We have people out here that are on solar and wind, running whole pivots on solar. Amazing. But they're way out past the power lines. They're way out on the desert. There is no power out there. Nobody's bringing power out to them. So they've they've done for themselves. That's fine out there. It's not cheap. But they're out there doing it. And we have that. And and the reality is there may be other places where it could be used. But you can power all of America? No. Oh, so, I mean, show me the first electric plane you're going to come up with. Well, actually, you could make such a thing. It won't be called a plane, though. <laughs> It'll be called something else. But that's another story. We're not going down that road. So, chapter 5, the desire for a master. Our individual spirit explores the spirit of those around us. Our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, and all others around us that also Live. So the individual spirit in us explores all these other people around us. And we create a connection between us and these other people. So what is that all about? Creating that connection with these other people. Well, that's like those clocks on the wall. We begin to synchronize our thinking. But now, of course, now if you take your kids out of the house when they're four, five, six years old, and you take them down and hang them on another wall at the public school, they will begin to synchronize (laughs) their thinking with the people at that school, with the teachers, with their peers, etc. Because they're not hanging on your wall at home. They're hanging on this other wall. And that may not be a good thing. But at time we can look and see that seems to be what's taking place. Where they're synchronizing with somebody else. Because you're calling somebody else your father. It says, fathers, teach thy sons. But no, you decide, I'm not going to teach my sons. I'm going to send them away to school at four and five and six years old. Wow. Now he uses in this uh, in in this chapter five he uses this word animize, which is a doctrine that the vital principles of organic development is immaterial uh, is immaterial spirit. So, and, and a second definition is attributions of conscious life. To nature or nature's object, animist. So what they're saying is the spirit of the individual can actually animate the physical world around us. It can actually control the physical world around us. So when you're surrounded by your mother, your father, and your brothers, and your sisters, and all these other influences, they actually are having a much deeper effect on you, your physical body, and all those billion clocks, every cell in your body. That's why your mother cradles their child. You know, when the child is born, the first thing you do is lay the baby on the mother's stomach. He's been there. That's been his location. Now, all of a sudden, you take him out, and he's in another world, and you take him back to reassure him. 
so this is this th- there's actual spiritual connection and he starts out this uh, this chapter of the desire for a master and of course your mother and your father are your master so if you're going to break down the family and create the city of Cain and, and the city of Nimrod and the Babylon you have to break down the family and so you do not want the family animating the child. You you want somebody else animating the child. You want to take the child out of the influence of the father and the mother. Not a good thing. This is going to contribute more than uh, you know to totalitarianism than industrialization and mechanization of society. Because this is actually affecting the spirit of the individual. And he's, he's seeing this, and this is why he's reporting us. So, now I actually have some things here in my... Uh, Tacitus said, The making of laws, there is no end. But all the rules form a web that robs the individual not only of the moment, but of choice. And, and I include the Archibald McLeish uh, statement here in this freedom is the right to choose the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice a man is not a man but a member an instrument a thing and that of course that's what's happened to people if they become a member of a socialist state instead of a republic they look to the socialist state to take care of their parents, to take care of their student loans, to take care even getting the student loans. They they wouldn't have got those student loans if it wasn't for government guarantees. So the government's been feeding people have been creating this to bring you more to break those social bonds of society. You don't you know, like I said, my grandfather became wealthy, great grandfather became wealthy as a farmer in North Dakota. Where he had uh, had so much money that he could retire at 45. And over the years to follow, he, he put numerous kids through college. Paid for them out of his own pocket. Just kids in the community. Because he was so wealthy as a farmer. It wasn't because he had a $100,000 tractor. He was, it's because he owned mules. He started with oxen and then went to mules. And he became wealthy. And, and America was becoming great. And because of men like him were doing things like, uh, saw a kid who, this kid really should go on to college and learn other stuff and, and he paid their way through college. Kid after kid after kid. Why? Because they're the next generation. Why not? We don't do that anymore. Well, a little bit here and there, but. Uh, a lot of that has gone on the wayside because it's the government's job, right? It's not our job. We're not the government of the people, for the people, by the people. That's the government over the people. And they will take away your choice and they will make you a thing. And they will decide for you. As a matter of fact, that not what they've been telling us is that you trust the expert. I was talking about the comedian who says, you know, that don't tell me you're going to do your own research, <laughs> which, like I said, research used to be reading. Well, the comedian goes on and he says, well, wait a minute. You know, 
how do you know if you don't do your own research? It's a questionable thing. You have to do your own research and read and find out what's what. I mean, like if you were going to buy a car, you're not going to do your own research. And everybody laughs because that's, well, of course you're going to do your own research. Well, wait a minute. No. Well, how do I know if I don't read about the different cars? Trust the salesman. He's the expert. Everybody just breaks out laughing because that's absolute nonsense. The salesman, the guy who's going to profit when he buys, you buy a car from him? He's going to tell you he has no vested interest in getting you to buy the car that he happens to sell. He's not going to say, oh, don't buy these Chevys that I'm selling. Go down there and get a Dodge from this other guy. No, he's going to tell you the Chevy's better than the Dodge. Or the Ford is better than the Chevy. If he's selling Fords, he's going to advocate you buying a Ford. Just like Moderna. Advocate getting a Moderna or a Pfizer. They're the salesman. You're going to trust the salesman? No, that would be ridiculous if you're buying a car. You're going to do your own research. Find out what's going on. That's what we put up. We showed you the test. The earliest test. Before anybody was even testing the vaccine. We showed you the dangers because there were guys actually doing this and they should have been held up by your President Trump. But they weren't held up by your President Trump. Now, admittedly, you know, if he was going to Fauci, which I would have never gone to, I mean, I just look at the guy and I say, I don't trust him. I mean, you know what he reminds me of? Used car salesman. <laughs> Not a new car salesman, used car salesman. That's what he reminds me of. Well, you don't trust those, that's for sure. So, you become a thing because you gave choice to somebody else. You didn't look into it yourself. You know, the comedian, he actually says, don't do your own research. Trust the salesman. He's the expert. Who do you think you are, Henry Ford? You know, and of course everybody's just in hysterical laughter. I'm not a good comedian and you couldn't hear my soundtrack. I think I have a soundtrack of laughter here somewhere. Let's see. There you go. Yeah. See, all those people thought my joke was really funny. <laughs> I think you're hearing that anyway. We just... Okay, shut up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. You've become a thing because you gave somebody else the power to choose for you. Gave somebody else the power to choose for you because you didn't do what Christ said. Christ said to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and you didn't do that. Uh, God said, Fathers, teach thy sons. You didn't do that. You turned it over to somebody else. What do you expect? Yes, you could choose wrong still. Without choice and the consequences of choice, the individual cannot know himself nor his place in society. And so the more choices that you gave away, it wasn't industrialization that gave him that choice. You gave him the choice. When you saw these guys building these factories, you should have... You see, this is... this is. We'll, we'll get into this next. Let's see how much time do we have because I'm going right along here. But I'm not seeing any color, so we're getting it through. So, how how would should we have gone during the industrialization? 
of things. Now, I told you about the Romans building these gigantic boats. Huge, giant ships. You could just live on them for your whole life. And never even get off of them. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Thousands, 1,500 passengers. 400 seamen. Tons and tons and tons of cargo. Just huge, giant ships. They used to build them. We hardly even know about those ships because they all eventually went away and they stopped building them. Why? These were built by cooperatives. People getting together. The same guys that were building the ship, a lot of them, would end up sailing on the ships. Talk about gratification. That would have been fun. They were building one and there was evidently some sort of a flood. Something changed. I don't know if it was a, you know, maybe a tidal wave or something took place. But anyway, they, they've excavated one of these ships that were in the process of being built. Because you have to build them down near the water. And, and then, then after you've got them built, then you can float them out and then you can build the rest of the interior after it's already out. But these are giant, these are Noah Ark type ships they were building. What was that all about? So, what would we have done if you, if you saw a textile mill? Instead of forming a union, trying to control the rich guy. See, when you gave up your right to control the law, and, and you started doing it because you weren't attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. The rich man could hire his own law agents. His own mercenaries. Of course, in the cities, this is where this first took place, is that they created cities, and then they would have a mayor, and the mayor would hire policemen. Now, the local people could hire a constable, they could hire a sheriff, but when the sheriff was being hired by the government, and not by the people, you get a different outcome. But the people individually have to come together and attend to the weightier matters. And that's what the early church was. And the way they did it was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They came together once a week. At least. And those that had shared with those that didn't have. What did they do when somebody cheated somebody in the congregation? sold them a horse that was supposed to be 12 years old and was 26 years old. That actually recently happened. Somebody bought a horse like that. I was trying to think of who did that. And they look, somebody looked at them out. That horse is a lot older than you think. <laughs> yeah. So how do you deal with that if somebody cheats you? And of course... Actually, at the Burning Bush Festival, somebody was telling me about the fact that they were trying to help out an elderly person, and they were, but they were actually being too nice. Now, I mean, they could be nice, but they had to, you know, they have to attend to the weightier matters, and they saw it when we discussed it, and we all laughed about it because that's what we don't know how to be the government of the people for the people and by the people. 
We don't know how to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Most people know nothing about jury nullification. They don't know how to take care of widows and orphans. And, of course, they're taking care of widows and orphans who are actually still going to the men who exercise authority. They're not, they're not even Christians. They're heathens. They're infidels. Now, we can help infidels. Absolutely. We can do it. But we need to be having the guidance of the Holy Spirit in doing it. And the way in which we help them may be a lot different than what people are used to. Because we can only help people in a way that would strengthen them. And strengthen the poor. If we help the people like FDR was helping the people, we will weaken them. If we help them like LBJ was helping people, we will weaken them like we see with the black community. So what's an infidel? First Timothy 5.8 But if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied faith and is worse than an infidel. So, who's providing for your family? When he says, of his own house, your house is not just the house where you live. It's also the house where your sons live and your unmarried daughters live and your grandsons live and all. It, if you're a grandfather it's that whole house and if you're not providing for them you're worse than an infidel if they have to go to the governments of the world for their needs that's not a good thing that they need to be able to work together as a family and, and continuing with the world and then as that family they can come together in a congregation. I can't do that without God. I can't take the credit for it if I all of a sudden am given the power to do that. Or else I'll be worse than infidel and also I will be like Moses and and Aaron who took credit. Look what we have done. We don't want to do that. Second Corinthians says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So Belial. We have articles on Belial. Balaam. The Nicolaitans. What concord? Yeah, that's one of the things that they're coming out with in the Great Reset is they're talking about something called the Accords. We already have an accord at the church. Way back at the beginning, when they came out of the upper room, they had an accord. They came into one accord. And of course, there's a joke there, back to cars, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> so, this this word infidel, it's actually translated a, translated a lot of different ways. Uh, that believe not. Unbelieving, faithless, unbeliever, infidel, thing incredible, which believe not. So those are the different places that it's translated. You know, uh, infidel, it's only translated infidel twice, but that believe not is translated that way six times and unbelieving five times. So if you're not going to educate your kid, you're going to send him away to public school at your neighbor's expense. I just heard in a podcast where public schools back in New Jersey 
cost $38,000 per student to educate those kids. Well, that's coming from your neighbor. I mean, you're forcing your neighbor, or you'll take his house away. He has to pay it. Because you've got a man who exercises authority and say, teach my kids. You're an unbeliever. You're not a Christian. You're an infidel. Because you're not providing that education. You say, oh, well, I pay taxes. You What do you got? Two kids, three kids, four kids. You pay $38,000 a year in taxes per kid. In New Jersey, now it might be a little bit different here in Oregon. Maybe it's $24,000 you pay. You have two kids. You know, it's 12000 a kid. I've heard that it's as much as 16000 But, you know, what's the total budget? I don't know. But say it's 10000 And you have four kids. And you send them to public school. That's $40,000 a year. You're paying $40,000 a year in property tax? I don't think so. Now, you may be paying that in taxes, but most of this is going to come out of property tax. Now, some will come out of other... But all the money, it doesn't come out of your income tax. It comes out of men who are borrowing against the future of your children. So, yeah, you're, you're setting yourself up. You're an unbeliever. And you're breaking the bonds. Because when they're sitting in that desk at school, there's a different clock ticking at the front of that classroom. And it's not you. And it's molding your child spiritually, emotionally, mentally. It's changing your child. It's it's creating bonds between your child and them. Not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And you're you're giving them the power of choice over your kid. Now they're saying you know, now these parents are so outraged that the school board's not listening to them. And, they, you know, you say, oh, you're going to listen to, you can talk about the kids and, and the community and everything. But they don't mention the parents. And they're, they're so outraged. You gave your kids, oh, to who? <laughs> to educate your kids? You think that was a good idea? You really think so? You didn't want to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with people who actually want to believe in Christ and, and provide for an education for their family and their, help their neighbors provide an education for their family? Can you imagine if everybody in your community was homeschooling? Homeschoolers, just even poor homeschoolers, score 30% higher on average on on tests than the kids that go to public school. There's better socially adjusted. Uh, very few homeschoolers get pregnant in the locker room. Very very few. <laughs> very few. <laughs> very few are molested by teachers. Very few are exposed to twerkers and tweakers. Very few. Now, this day and age, you're going to see more and more of that. But, yeah, homeschooling is the way you got to go. In chapter 6, which is part of the second part of the book, Mass Formation of Totalitarianism, this is the second part, he says the rise of the masses, the micro-masses of the juries only because of the juries only because the modern jury is subject to manipulation. 
Okay, they talk about the micromasses of the juries uh, are manipulated. It's the jury, and I'll, I'll link to an article there where it says modern jury. I'm actually linking to an article on juries so you can find out a little bit more about jury nullification. Well, if you go back to Jordan Peterson, you know, when we talk about that in our Exodus study, and Prager was talking about that, uh, that talking about salvation and, and, and government in the macro and not in the micro, but the reality is, is that he's wrong. And the government of Israel was in the micro, because it was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. The purse strings of government were in the hands of the individual people. The, the courts were the individual people. Uh, the, the, uh, who was going to be in the appeals courts, the cities of refuge. See, if you don't believe that the cities of refuge were appeals courts, if you actually think that, you know, men who commit murder and can run real fast and get to the city of refuge before anybody catches him, he's safe. And they can't do anything to him once he gets into that city. That's that's what they believe. But of course they already believe that that uh, you pile up rocks and burn up sheep and that makes God happy. And, and that the Levites, their share of that offering, they can actually take a share of that offering. I don't know how they get it if the sheep's on fire there or are they reaching in and grabbing the liver or what, how, how do they do that? No. No, I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense. How how can you be so naive that the the share that uh, that the Levite gets is he he gets the kidney, which is the reins of control. He has the control of the offering. He he gets to decide who gets what meat of this lamb that you gave me, or if you gave oil, uh, who gets what share of this oil, or if you gave uh, you know uh, fruit. Or apples or carrots or potatoes. Or, of course, they didn't have any potatoes yet because they were going to find those in America. But uh, whatever that you give to your Levite as your sacrifice, your burnt offering, he redistributes to the needy of society. He can eat of that offering, but, I mean, there's only so much he can eat and then he's going to redistribute it. If you don't realize that that's a social welfare system, and if you still had that in place during industrialization, and, and you still had the uh, courts in place, the juries in place, and you were dependent not on a professional police force, but on a hue and cry they would call the people out of their houses and they would they organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You you rob somebody. You don't just have everybody on the street running after them. You have teams of people running after them. You got ten families over here in a congregation and you rob one of them and the guy takes off running and you know he's been robbed. You know who's the fastest runner in that congregation is. is little Billy. That guy could go like the wind. And 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 his and his cousin and his uh 
brother, they could go. And, and, and his sister's pretty darn fast too. And, and they can call out ahead. And they can cut them off. And they can catch them. Cause they're the police. They're the posse. They're the militia. They're all these things. They're bound together. You rob from my cousin. You rob from me. And, you know, now if you have a group of robbers, 20 guys, come over the hill and they're robbing some remote ranch. I mean, this goes on in South Africa all the time now. But if you have this militia bound together by faith, hope, and charity, this network, you can you can create a defense for this because you're the law and they're not. Now you have to you have to do this righteously, and, and I'm not promoting vigilantism. First, you have to create the network of charity. That's where Jesus started. That's where you got to start. The other one is just naturally going to follow. Because you're going to create the bonds that you're going to need in that posse to care about one another. Like like in the movie with uh, the Fresco Kid. The guy robs a bank. And the banker says, we've got to form a posse. He says, why? Because he robbed the bank. So I ain't got no money in the bank. So he didn't care about, you know, I didn't lose any money. Why should I go? Absolutely reason. It's a comedy. And uh, Harrison Ford's in it. <laughs> I saw the TV version years and years ago. It's a little bit cut. But uh, but the, the, they finally, somebody negotiates. I'll give you $3 if you join the posse or whatever it was. I don't know the amount. And then somebody says, you do it for $3.57? And he says, yeah. He says, okay, saddle up. And so they all, they're all going to join that because they're all going to get $3.57 or $5.52 or some ridiculous amount. Evidently the guy had something he wanted to buy and it cost that much. And he figured I'll be on the posse. But these are mercenaries. They're not chasing down the bad guys because they love their neighbor and they care about their neighbor. Their motivation is the $3.57. That's what they're doing. Now, I know that's it's a comedy and it's a simplistic way of looking at it. And I'm not against police officers. I am for the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And, uh, and I support the people that are in police but the more you come together the less policemen you will need and I've already seen in in many small towns and we've seen it even in Portland defund the police so they're not going to be there they're defunding them they're 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 moving out of those jobs they're unappreciated I, I appreciate the work they did I used to wear a badge and again I understand that but I know the way of the kingdom is that we all care about our neighbor. And we hear the hue and cry. And we show up and we help one another. That's what we do. And that's what we need to do. 
So it wasn't industrialization. It was the separation. Now, the rich guy, he's not going to need the welfare of the church, he thinks. But he will need the protection of the posse comitatus, of, of the, the population. Because they're going to keep his factory safe. They're going to keep his house safe. Now, he could hire guards because he'll have enough money to do it. But if you guys were coming together, you could do like Mundo Dragon. You could, you know, when he has a strike, you could go ahead and have the strike and you could start a mill right next door. You know, you could get other land and start your own mill and you can, you can become the competition. And if you got, if you had a network that stretched all over England, you know, you say, well, you know, what is there? There's a hundred employees in this mill. We don't have enough money to start our own mill. Instead of starting a union, you would already have your church. And if if the if the ruler of that, you know, uh, weaving textile industry was abusing his people, or the coal industry abusing his people. You could have got together with all the other textile industry guys and employees all over the country and you could have invested in one company. One place. You all put a little bit of money in there and you started a cooperative mill. And then everybody goes to work at that mill. Then they're sharing in the profits. And they have to share the profits with the, and buy out those guys who funded them. And then those guys start another mill with the money that they get back from the first mill that they started and backed because they cared about those men over there starting that one mill wherever it was. They pick a spot. They know the industry. And they started. But it's a cooperative. It's not a central corporation only. And they do it time and time again. And they... They like Mundo Dragon. They they become this big successful business. But instead, they wanted to form a union. They should have formed a cooperative and started creating their own businesses. Yeah, they would have had to work on these other ones. But when they saw them creating those businesses, because you weren't taking care of them. See that we have a mill down here that it's not a union mill. We have a government down here in Lake County. And the uh, the road department is not union because they take care of them. They say, well, they're already taking care of us. They're matching everything. We don't need a union. And uh, so they're doing this because they're cooperating. But if you had that church doing what it was supposed to be doing, you would already have the avenue by which to do this. And you would be creating bonds between these people. Instead of battling against and taking away the choices of the rich man, the rich man would know. Ah, you know, and, and I, get, I can give you an example of the mill down here. There was a guy who was kind of an autocratic uh, head of uh, the mill. Uh, not the whole mill, but the, the sawyer part of the mill. And he had anger problems and would get mad at people and shout at people. And he was just not a good leader of men because he had this kind of fascist approach to to being in management. And they, in order to appease the men, they sent him away to anger management for a week or two weeks, I think it was. 
and the mill produced more lumber in those weeks that he was gone and those few weeks than it had ever done through the same period of time at any other time in the history of the mill. That you couldn't, these guys did it for the single common cause of making that supervisor look bad. When he was gone, they outproduced everything they'd ever done. Can you imagine if they had dedicated that same energy to their own mill? But they, we divide the people. And they don't come together. If their social welfare was, and they cared about their neighbor as much as themselves, and they cast their bread upon the waters, they could have had hundreds and hundreds of cooperatives all over England. In all sorts of industries. All helping one another out. And it would be a different country. Because they would have those bonds. And the industrialization would not have crippled society. It would not have isolated society. The mechanization would not have isolated society. It would have brought them together stronger and stronger. But the church that was going around in those days was not preaching Christ. They were preaching some Christ stuff. But they weren't preaching the kingdom of God. The government of God. That operates by faith, hope, and charity. Most of those churches at that time were absolutely willing to crown a king. Now, if you go back to the revolutions that they were having at that time in England, you had Mary, Queen of Scots. You had uh, King James. You had Good Time Charlie. Some were Catholic. Some were Protestant. Some persecuted the Protestants. Some persecuted the Catholics. And they were fighting over... But Protestant or Catholic, they were still going to men who exercised authority one over the other and asking them for social welfare. Eventually, that they were asking. I mean, that's what we see way back with Lady Godiva and the monk who wrote those lies about her riding naked to the street, which isn't true. Go look at our article on Lady Godiva and find out the truth. She's a, she's considered a saint of architects. Why is a lady who rode through town naked, which she never did, the saint, the patron saint of architects? Well, go read the story. But if if we had had a church that was actually preaching the kingdom of God, which is from generation to generation. And it's a system that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Can you imagine if Jordan Peterson was going to tell this story at his at his alliance of responsible citizenship? Wow, you would you would see the the halls of government shake. <laughs> But you could do this. You could do this. Farms, agriculture, everything. You could, you could do cooperatives. 
and and you could have uh, this is what this is what Moses was doing when he was out there with the Ishmaelites, and we see little hints of it in Cecil B. DeMille's movie, which depended upon other things outside of the Bible, like Philos and stuff like that. That okay, they're they're all producing sheep. They they have all these different flocks, small flocks, small land hold, holdings, and everything. But, you know, like, I mean, we did this with the cattle in America. They had these big cattle drives. We had this rancher and that rancher and this rancher, and they all brought their cows together. And they drove their cows a long ways to a railroad head where they were going to get more money. Because there was no money. After the war, after the Civil War, there was no money. But they came together in a cooperative and had this big cattle drive. And they had to do it because there were still men around that could raid your cattle drive. If you just tried to do it by yourself, they could raid you, steal all your cattle, kill you, rob your horses, and and just devastate you. You had to come together in the numbers that you needed to come to survive. And what would allow people... Now, the John Wayne movie and... You know, Red River and all that stuff. They don't go into this. I mean, there is a certain moral character. But the reality is... It, but See, that's because we've lost a lot of the story. Now, I, I know of people who... You know, I've read the detailed stories of people who did some of these cattle drives. They were very religious people. And when they put some of, them together, some of the drives together, they put them together based upon the men they knew that were men of character. Because they would have to risk their lives with each other. We don't do that anymore. And I, I can tell you all kinds of stories, but we're going to be running out of time here. Use your imagination and start thinking about this. Because in this chapter, the rise of the masses, is the mass uh, a, a mass of micros or a micro of masses? <laughs> uh, but in this chapter they're going to be talking about free floating anxiety and it's it's because people don't come together they don't create the you will naturally have anxiety if you if you have cap cross and you you sever those connections you know that boy who was in the hospital who couldn't recognize his parents he was he was afraid he was he was trying to escape because he didn't think this was his parents. He thought this was somebody else who looked like his parents. Can you imagine the conflict? He can't make sense out of things. And I gave his uncle a heads up before the kid even woke up. I told him what was going to happen. That's always handy. I don't think he appreciated it. I don't think he even believed it at first. But then he, he called me back and he said, Well, I can't believe it, but you're absolutely right. He's not in the network anymore. So the the other things I can see and I could share with him, I can't share with him because he's not in the network anymore. He decided, oh no, I can go do all this stuff. I can figure all this stuff out with my own tree of knowledge. Because I was getting him too close to the light. And the light was starting to show some of the dark spots in his own heart and mind. That was starting to get into his children. And he's a good guy. And he, 
And he can come back at any time. Welcome with open arms. But people don't realize that the kingdom of God is this this body where we're not synchronizing with a single leader with the tick-tick of the clock. We're synchronizing with the Holy Spirit. In order to synchronize with the Holy Spirit, we've got to hang our clock on the tree of life. And the job of the ministry, I've told ministers this over and over again. The job of the minister, he's got to, he's got to walk this walk too. He's got to look at the darkness in his own heart and allow the light to reveal that darkness. He has to go into his own hell and see it. And then he has to come back and, and take members of his congregation by the hand and help them go see the darkness in their heart so that they can get to the tree of life and hang their clock on the tree of life. And then that tick, tick, tick. You can hear in the background a clock ticking, I think. People say they can hear it from time to time on the recording. But that's what you need to synchronize with the Holy Spirit. Not synchronize with me. Synchronize with the Holy Spirit. But if you get people close to the light, they get afraid. It's uncomfortable. You know, I mean, that's why Adam and Eve fled the garden. So a remedy is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's not easy to do. Somebody on the call last week said, oh, we already do that. Uh, not like the early church. Not unless you're in the tens, hundreds, and thousands casting your bread upon the waters. Now, you're not actually loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that that early church was actually doing it. They, they were they could create their own businesses. Now there, there's a video that we've made and we've shared it. And I may break it up and put it on the net. We made it for attorneys years ago. But I've held off doing it. I could hand it to somebody in the order and he would young young buck and he could he could put it on the, on YouTube. And people might see the possibilities. It's cloaked in a lot of information that's in there that you, you won't readily see. You may think you see <laughs> but it, it, it's in a way that you might not see and you don't need to see. Because I said, if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will show you everything you need to see. But it would put in, if we actually created that network of charity, that network that tended to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. I've told the story about a guy who had a little piece of property, it was like 15 acres, and it was on a creek, and uh, somebody had the property right next to him. I'll give you his name. The guy who had the property right next to him was Judge Gregory. And Judge Gregory asked if he could run his pipes to irrigate his ground across that guy's property because it was a shorter distance to the ditch that he had water rights in. And then he could pump out of the ditch and irrigate his property. The guy said, sure. He could do that. Gave him permission. And then later on he wanted to sell the property. 
he had inherited it from his parents. And he wanted the guys to remove his pipes and go back to the old way he did, which he could have done. I mean, he's the judge. He's, he's got enough money to do it. And the judge filed on that guy's property. And the guy said, well, you can't do that. This is my property. He said, no, it's my property now. He filed on it like it was his. He, he filed a deed like, like he had bought the property. He didn't buy the property. He didn't own the property. He knew he didn't own the property. The guy tried to fight him in court. And every time he was fighting him in court, the judge knew how to manipulate, you know, change the venues, and change the motions and stuff like that. So, I mean, he was paying his lawyer like $10,000. The judge didn't need to hire a lawyer. He could just do it himself. The clerk knew what was going on. The county clerk knew what was going on. And he told the guy, he says, You'll, he says, what's the deal? The judge is like stealing my property. He says, you're not going to win. Cut your losses. You know, don't, don't, you're not going to get any money. He's, he's got it. He's, you're, you're not going to get, you're going to lose everything that you could make on selling the property. And you'll have to pay your attorneys. And the guy just lost, the guy just walked away from his land that he had inherited from his parents. And the judge stole it right in front of everybody. In broad daylight. Up in Primeville. But all the Christians were going to church, singing their songs. Because those Christians are fake Christians. They don't attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They don't have a social safety net based on faith, hope, and charity. They have one based on force, fear, and fealty. Two men who exercise authority one over the other. Based on covetous practices where if you don't pay for my child's education, the sheriff will come and take your house away. But they think they're Christians. They're not. They're under a strong delusion. They could become Christians. They, but they would have to repent. They would have to think differently. And they'd have to become doers of the word. Which would mean they would have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands start doing what Christ said to begin with all along. If Matthias could see that system, which we explain in great detail, he would know how to overcome the pitfalls of industrialization mechanization and technological society. Because it's because we abandoned that. And going back to Samuel, we'll go back and finish up with that. Samuel, you know, went to God and said, you know, the people want me to give them a king. And God says, it's not because they've turned their back on you, Samuel. It's because they've already turned their back on me. They were already not doing what God wanted them to do. They were not taking care of their altar of Nisi through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, through the stones, unhewn stones of altars, free will assemblies and altars. And so, therefore, their appeals courts became corrupt, which included the sons of Samuel. They were corrupt. They were taking bribes. You could have got him out of office if your network was strong enough. But they had begun to abandon the network. And why did they do it? Because things were so prosperous. 
They get prosperous really quick when you go back to the ways of the kingdom. But unfortunately, what Netanyahu did, see, rolled back their social welfare system a little bit towards the kingdom. Just a little bit. And prosperity came back and everybody forgot about it. I'll lay you odds they're going back the other. There's more corruption now than there was before. It's like the demons that Christ cast out. If you don't change your ways, it will get worse than it was before. And the bondage today is worse than the bondage of Egypt. Even in the bondage of Egypt, they they made you serve rigorously and give a portion of your labor rigorously. But it was still 20%. They may have added to that 20% by taxing your sons before they were of age. Every male son, they may have added another percentage. Or two, or three, or four, or five, or maybe even 20. I don't know. They they were literally upping. They didn't up the rate. But the way in which they enforced it, the taskmasters. And of course, there are taskmasters to, so to speak... In the kingdom of God. But they already have their instructions. You gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and when your minister comes and says, Well, what can you give? What should you give? You can say, Well, I should give, you know, I made, uh, I made $10,000 this month. I had a really good month. So I should give you 10% of that to take care of the needy and the poor of society. To create those social bonds of society. Now, it's not everybody who's not working. That's not how you're helping. But people who actually really need the help. Because you could actually fund that, that, that business. The church could actually help fund that business. They could invest in that business with the funds that you give them. So there's your, there's your textile mill. Going up because the church funded them, helped funded them. Because they received all this money. It could come from two ways. From the bottom up. And it could also come from the top down. Through the wave offering. Which we've talked about. But now if you don't know what I mean. Then you got a lot more listening to do. Because <laughs> we've talked about the wave offering several times. It's not, it's not a shock of barley swinging in the air. That's not what a wave offering is. And a bird offering is not a sheep on fire. And a drink offering is, what is that? And a peace offering, what is that? All these things we have to go through. But if you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, why should I tell you? Well, actually, I have put some of this up on the internet already. But, anyway, you could end that corruption. But, First, you have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have to come together and start creating those social bonds of a free society. You have to put away the things of unrighteousness. And that's going to be a task. It's going to be a struggle because you've gone a long ways away from the kingdom. So you're going to have to turn around and go back to the ways of righteousness and become real Christians again. If you share these shows with other people, share them with Matthias. You know, find out what his email is and and send them to him, because we're going to go through the rest of the book eventually here and uh, and see if we can't uh, 
help people understand what they're missing and how we went wrong. We didn't go wrong because we created an industrial nation. We didn't go wrong because we created this, uh, you know, dependent on mechanization. You know, it's really cool that one man can plow up 160 acres with a tractor. That's a cool thing. One man can feed a lot of people doing that. Uh, and it's better than a horse and buggy. And there's a lot of other technological advancements that we could do and we would know to do if we repented and sought the kingdom. We would learn things about nature and science that would improve the lot in life. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say free energy, but more efficient ways of doing things and producing food and better food and healthier food, better ways of taking care of the people, uh, show you how to take care of the elderly in your own home, how to do it together as a network. We could do all these things. But you have to work at it. And you have to work at it because if you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, you will remain in bondage and that bondage will become more grievous and more grievous. So everybody has to repent, turn around, go the other way. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.